Section three of Orientations. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lily Franda. Orientations by W. Somerset Maugham. Section three. A bad example. Part two. Well, I never said Mrs. Clinton, quite aghast and as she walked by the flower girls nodded at her and looked so savagely that the poor little maiden quite started mr clinton walked very slowly stopping now and then to look at a couple of women seated on a doorstep or the children round an ice-cream stall mrs clinton saw him pay a penny and give an eyes to a little child who was looking with longing eyes at his more fortunate companions as they licked out the little glass cups he remained quite a long while watching half a dozen young girls dancing to the music of a barrel organ and again to his wife's disgust mr clinton gave money we shall end in the workhouse if this goes on muttered mrs clinton and she pursed up her lips more tightly than ever thinking of the explanation she meant to have when her maid came home at last mr clinton came to a narrow slum down which he turned and so filthy was it that the lady almost feared to follow but indignation curiosity and a stern sense of duty prevailed she went along with upturned nose making her way carefully between cabbages and other vegetable refuse sidling up against a house to avoid a dead cat which lay huddled up in the middle of the way with a great red wound in his head mrs clinton was disgusted to see her husband enter a public-house is this where he gets to she said to herself and looking through the door saw him talk with two or three rough men who were standing at the bar drinking forth but she waited determinedly she had made up her mind to see the matter to the end came what might she was willing to wait all night after a time he came out and going through a narrow passage made his way into an alley then he went straight up to a big-boned, coarse-featured woman in a white apron, who was standing at an open door, and when he had said a few words to her, the two entered the house, and the door was closed behind them. Mrs. Clinton suddenly saw it all. "'I am deceived,' she said tragically, and she crackled with virtuous indignation. Her first impulse was to knock furiously at the door and force her way in to bear her James away from the clutches of the big-boned siren, but she feared that her rifle would meet her with brute force, and the possibility of defeat made her see the unladylikeness of the proceeding. So she turned on her heel, holding up her skirts and her nose against the moral contamination, and made her way out of the low place. She walked tempestuously down to fleet street jumped fiercely on a bus frantically caught the train to camberwell and having reached the house in the adonis road flung herself furiously down on a chair and gasped oh then she got ready for her husband's return well she said when he came in and she looked daggers well i'm afraid i'm later than usual my dear it was in fact past nine o'clock don't talk to me she replied with a vigorous jerk of her head i know what you've been up to what do you mean my love he gently asked she positively snorted with indignation 
she had rolled her handkerchief into a ball and nervously dabbed the palms of her hands with it i followed you this afternoon and i saw you go into that house with that low woman what now eh she spoke with the greatest possible emphasis woman said mr clinton with a smile what are you to me don't call me woman said mrs clinton very angrily what am i to you i'm your wife and i've got the marriage certificate in my pocket at this moment she slapped her pocket loudly i'm your wife and you ought to be ashamed of yourself wife you are no more to me than any other woman and you have the audacity to tell me that to my face oh you you villain i won't stand it i tell you i won't stand it i know i can't get a divorce the laws of england are scandalous but i'll have a judicious separation i might have known it you're like every one of you that's how you men treat women you take advantage of their youth and beauty and then oh you villain here if i worked myself to the bone for you and brought up your children and i don't know what i haven't done and now you go and take on with some woman and leave me oh she burst into tears mr clinton still smiled and there was a curious look in his eyes woman woman he said you know not what you say he went up to his wife and laid his hand on her shoulder dry your tears he said and i will tell you of these things mrs clinton shook herself angrily keeping her face buried in her pocket-handkerchief but he turned away without paying more attention to her then standing in front of the glass he looked at himself earnestly and began to speak it was during my illness that my eyes were opened lying in bed through those long hours i thought of the poor souls whose tale i had heard in the coroner's court and all night i saw their dead faces I thought of the misery of mankind and of the hardness of men's arts. Then a ray of light came to me, and I called for a Bible, and I read, and read, and the light grew into a great glow, and I saw that man was not meant to live for himself alone, that there was nothing else in life, and it was man's duty to help his fellows, and I resolved, when I was well, to do all that in me lay to help the poor and the wretched, faithfully to carry out those precepts which the book had taught me oh dear oh dear sobbed mrs clinton who had looked up and listened with astonishment to her husband's speech oh dear oh dear what is he talking about mr clinton turned towards her and again put his hand on her shoulder and that is how i spend my time amy i go into the most miserable houses into the dirtiest holes the foulest alleys, and I seek to make men happier. I do what I can to help them in their distress, and to show them that brilliant light which I see so gloriously lighting the way before me. And now good night. He stretched out his arm, and for a moment let his hand rest above her head. Then, turning on his heel, he left the room. Next day, Mrs. Clinton called on the doctor, and told him of her husband's strange behaviour, the doctor slowly and meditatively nodded. Then he raised his eyebrows, and with his finger significantly tapped his head. Well, he said, I think you'd better wait a while and see how things go on. I'll just write a prescription, and you can give him the medicine three times a day after meals. And he ordered the unhappy Mr. Clinton another tonic, 
which if it had no effect on that gentleman considerably reassured his wife mr clinton in fact became worse he came home later and later every night and his wife was disgusted at the state of uncleanness which his curious wanderings brought about he refused to take the bath which mrs clinton prepared for him he was more silent than ever but when he spoke it was in biblical language and always hovered on his lips an enigmatical smile and his eyes always had the strange disconcerting look mrs clinton perseveringly made him take his medicine but she lost faith in his power when one night at twelve mr clinton brought home with him a very dirty ragged man who looked half starved and smelled distinctly alcoholic jim she said on seeing the miserable objects linking in behind her husband jim what's that that amy that is your brother my brother what do you mean cried mrs clinton firing up that's no brother of mine i haven't got a brother it's your brother and my brother be good to him i tell you it isn't my brother repeated mrs clinton my brother adolphus died when he was two years old and that's the only brother i ever had mr clinton merely looked at her with his usual gentle expression and she asked angrily what have you brought him here for he's angry and i'm going to give him food he's homeless and i'm going to give him shelter shelter where here in my house in my bed in my bed screamed mrs clinton not if i know it here you she said addressing the man and pushing past her husband out you get i'm not going to have trams and lovers in my house get out mrs clinton was an energetic woman and a strong one catching hold of her husband's stick and flourishing it she opened the front door amy amy expostulated mr clinton now then you be quiet i've had about enough of you get on out will you the man made a rush for the door and as he scrambled down the steps she caught him a smart blow on the back and slammed the door behind him then returning to the sitting-room she sank panting on a chair mr clinton slowly recovered from his surprise woman he said this being now his usual mode of address he spoke solemnly and sadly you have cast out your brother you've cast out your husband you've cast out yourself don't talk to me said mrs clinton very wrathfully it's bedtime now come along upstairs i will not come to your bed again you have refused it to one who was better than i and why should i have it go woman go and leave me now then don't come trying your ears on me said mrs clinton they won't wash come up to bed i tell you i will not replied mr clinton decisively go woman and leave me well if i do i shan't leave the light so there she said spitefully and taking the lamp left mr clinton in darkness mrs clinton was not henceforth on the very best of terms with her husband but he always treated her with his accustomed gentleness though he insisted on spending his nights on the dining-room sofa 
but perhaps the most objectionable to mrs clinton of all her good man's eccentricities was that he no longer gave her his week's money every saturday afternoon as he had been accustomed to do the coldness between them made her unwilling to say anything about it but the approach of quarter day forced her to pocket her dignity and ask for the money oh james she no longer called him jimmy will you give me the money for the rent money he answered with the usual smile on his lips i've no money what do you mean you've not given me a farthing for ten weeks i've given it to those who want it more than i you don't mean to tell me that you've given your salary away yes dear mrs clinton groaned oh you dotty i can understand giving a threepenny bit or even sixpence at offertory on sunday at church and of course one has to give christmas boxes to the tradesmen but to give your whole salary away haven't you got anything left no you you aggravating fool and i'll be bound you gave it to lazy loafers and trams and lot knows what mr glitter did not answer his wife walked rapidly backwards and forwards wringing her hands well look here james she said at last it's no use crying over spilt milk but from this day you just give me your salary the moment you receive it you hear i tell you i will not have any more of your nonsense i shall get no more salaries he quietly remarked mrs clinton looked at him he was quite calm and smilingly returned her glance what do you mean by that she asked i'm no longer at the office james you haven't been sacked she screamed oh they say i did not any longer properly attend to my work they said i was careless and that i made mistakes they complained that i was unpunctual that i went late and came away early and one day because i hadn't been there the day before they told me to leave i was watching at the bedside of a man who was dying and had need of me so how could i go but i didn't really mind the office hindered me in my work but what are you going to do now gasped mrs clinton i have my work that is more important than ten thousand offices but how are you going to earn your living what's to become of us don't trouble me about those things come with me and work for the poor james think of the children what are your children to me more than any other children but woman i tell you not to trouble me about these things have you not money enough and to spare he waved his hand and putting on his top hat which looked more than ever in need of restoration went out leaving his wife in a perfect agony there was words to follow coming home a few days later mr clinton told his wife that he wished to speak with her i have been looking into my books he said and I find that we have invested in various securities a sum of nearly seven hundred pounds. Thank heaven for that, answered his wife. It's the only thing that'll save us from starvation now that you moon about all day instead of working like a decent man. Well, I've been thinking, I've been reading, I've found it written. Give all and follow me. Well, there's nothing new in that, said Mrs. Clinton viciously. I've known that text ever since I was a child. And as it were spirits, it's come to me and said that I too must give all. In short, 
I've determined to sell out my stocks and my shares. My breweries are seven pounds higher than when I bought them. I knew it was a good investment. I'm going to realise everything. I'm going to take the money in my hand, and I'm going to give it to the poor. Mrs. Clinton burst into tears. Do not weep, he said solemnly. It is my duty, and it is a pleasant one. Oh, what joy to make a hundred people happy, to leave a poor man who is starving, to give a breath of country air to little children who are dying for the want of it, to help the poor, to feed the angry, to clothe the naked. Oh, if I only had a million pounds! He stretched out his arms in a gesture of embrace and looked towards heaven with an ecstatic smile upon his lips. It was too serious a matter for Mrs. Clinton to waste any words on. She ran upstairs, put on her bonnet, and quickly walked to her friend, the doctor. He looked graver than ever when she told him. Well, he said, I'm afraid it's very serious. I've never heard of anyone doing such a thing before. Of course I've known of people who have left all their money to charities after their death, when they didn't want it. But it couldn't ever occur to a normal, healthy man to do it in his lifetime. But what shall I do, doctor? Mrs. Clinton was almost in hysterics. Well, Mrs. Clinton, do you know the clergyman of the parish? I know Mr. Evans, the curate, very well. He's a very nice gentleman. Perhaps you could get him to have a talk with your husband. The fact is, it's a sort of religious mania he's got, and perhaps a clergyman could talk him out of it. Anyhow, it's worth trying. Mrs. Clinton straightway went to Mr. Evans' rooms, explained to him the case, and settled that on the following day he should come and see what he could do with her husband. In expectation of the curious visit, Mrs. Clinton tidied the house and adorned herself. It has been said that she was a woman of taste, and so she was. The mantelpiece and looking-glass were artistically draped with green muslin, and this she proceeded to arrange, tying and carefully forming the yellow satin ribbon with which it was relieved. The chairs were covered with cretonne, which might have come from the Tottenham Court Road, and these she placed in positions of careless and artistic confusion, smoothing down the antimascassas, which were now her pride, as the silk petticoat from which she had manufactured them had been once her glory. For the flower-pots she made fresh coverings of red tissue paper, rearranged the ornaments gracefully scattered about on little Japanese tables. Then, after pausing a moment to admire her work and see that nothing had been left undone, she went upstairs to perform her own toilet. In less than half an hour she reappeared, holding herself in a dignified posture, with her head slightly turned to one side and her hands meekly folded in front of her, stately and collected as Juno a goddess in black satin. Her dress was very elegant. It might have typified her own life, for in its original state of virgin whiteness it had been her wedding garment. Then it was dyed purple, and might have betokened a sense of change and coming responsibilities. Lastly, it was black, to signify the burden of a family and the seriousness of life. No one had realised so intensely as Mrs. Clinton the truth of the poet's words. Life is not an empty dream. She took out her handkerchief, 
redolent with lascivious patchouli, and placed it in her bosom, a spot of whiteness against the black. She set herself down to wait. There was a knock and a ring at the door, timid, as befitted a clergyman, and the servant girl showed in Mr. Evans. He was a thin and short young man, red-faced, with a long nose and weak eyes, looking under fat and cold, keeping his shoulders screwed up in a perpetual shiver. He was an earnest, God-fearing man, spending much money in charities, and waging constant war against the encroachments of the scarlet woman. I think I'll just take my coat off, if you don't mind, Mrs. Clinton, he said, after the usual greetings. He folded it carefully and hung it over the back of a chair. Then, coming forward, he sat down and rubbed the back of his hands. I asked my husband to stay because you wanted to see him, but he would go out. However, Mrs. Clinton always chose her language on such occasions. However, he's promised to return at four, and I will say this for him, he never breaks his word. Oh, very well. May I have the pleasure of offering you a cup of tea, Mr. Evans? The curious face brightened up. Oh, thank you so much. And he rubbed his hands more energetically than ever. Tea was brought in, and they drank it, talking of parish matters. Mrs. Clinton discreetly trying to pump the curate. Was it really true that Mrs. Palmer of number 17 Adonis Road drank so terribly? At last, Mr. Clinton came, and his wife glided out of the room, leaving the curate to convert him. There was a little pause while Mr. Evans took stock of the clerk. Well, Mr. Clinton, he said finally, I've come to talk to you about yourself. Your wife tells me that you have adopted certain curious views on religious matters, and she wished me to have some conversation with you about them. You are a man of God, replied Mr. Clinton. I'm at your service. Mr. Evans, on principle, objected to the use of the deity's name out of church, thinking it a little blasphemous, but he said nothing. Well, he said, of course, religion is a very good thing. In fact, it is the very best thing, but it must not be abused, Mr. Clinton, and he repeated gravely, as if his interlocutor were a naughty schoolboy. It mustn't be abused. Now, I want to know exactly what your views are. Mr. Clinton smiled gently. I have no views, sir. The only rule I have for guidance is this. Love thy neighbour as thyself. Hmm, murmured the curate. There was really nothing questionable in that, but he was just slightly prejudiced against a man who made such a quotation. It sounded a little prickish. But your wife tells me that you've been going about with all sorts of queer people. I found that there was misery and unhappiness among people, and I tried to relieve it. Of course, I strongly approve of district visiting. I do a great deal of it myself. But you've been going about with public-house loafers and bad women. Is it not said, I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance? No doubt, answered Mr. Evans, slightly frowning. But obviously one isn't meant to do that to such an extent as to be dismissed from one's place. My wife has posted you well up in all my private affairs. Well, I don't think you can have done well to be sent away from your office. Is it not said, forsake all and follow me? Decidedly, this was bad form. 
and mr evans pursing up his lips and raising his eyebrows was silent that's the worst of these half-educated people he said to himself they get some idea in their hats which they don't understand and of course they do idiotic things well to pass over all that he added out loud apparently you've been spending your money on these people to such an extent that your wife and children are actually inconvenienced by it i have clothed the naked said mr clinton looking into the curious eyes i have visited the sick i have given food to him that was an angered and drink to him that was athirst yes 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 that's all very well but you should always remember that charity begins at home i shouldn't have anything to say to a rich man's doing these things but it's positively wicked for you to do them don't you understand that and last of all your wife tells me that you are realizing your property with the idea of giving it away it's perfectly true said mr clinton mr evans's mind was too truly pious for a wicked expletive to cross it but bad man expressing the curious feeling would have said that mr clinton was a damned fool well don't you see that it's a perfectly ridiculous and unheard-of thing he asked emphatically sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor it is in the gospel of st luke do you know it of course i know it but naturally these things aren't to be taken quite literally it is clearly written what makes you say it is not to be taken literally mr evans shrugged his shoulders impatiently why do you see it would be impossible the world couldn't go on how do you expect your children to live if you give this money away look at the lilies of the field they toil not neither do they spin yet solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these oh my dear sir you make me lose my patience you are full of the hell-fire platitudes of a park spouter and you think it's religion i tell you all these things are allegorical don't you understand that you mustn't carry them out to the letter they are not meant to be taken in that way mr clinton smiled a little pitifully at the curate and think of yourself one must think of oneself god helps those who help themselves how are you going to exist when this little money of yours is gone you simply have to go to the workhouse it's absurd i tell you mr clinton took no further notice of the curate but he broke into a loud chant lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal then turning on the unhappy curate he stretched out his arm and pointed his finger at him last sunday he said i heard you read those very words from the chancel steps go go i tell you go you are a bad man a wolf in sheep's clothing go mr clinton walked up to him threateningly and the curate with a gasp of astonishment and indignation fled from the room he met mrs clinton outside i can't do anything with him at all he said angrily i've never heard such things in my life he's either mad or he's got into the hands of the dissenters that's the only explanation i can offer then to quiet his feelings he called on a wealthy female parishioner with whom he was a great favourite because she thought him such a really pious man 
and it was not till he had drunk two cups of tea that he recovered his equilibrium mrs clinton was at her wit's end her husband had sold out his shares and the money was lying at the bank ready to be put to its destined use visions of debt and bankruptcy presented themselves to her she saw her black satin dress in the roofless clutches of a pawnbroker the house and furniture sold over her head the children down at hill and herself driven to work for her living needlework nursing charring what might not things come to however she went to the doctor and told him of the failure of their scheme i've come to the end of my tether mrs clinton i really don't know what to do the only thing i can suggest is that a mental specialist should examine into the state of his mind i really think he's wrong in his head and you know it may be necessary for your welfare and his own that he be kept under restriction well doctor answered mrs clinton putting her handkerchief up to her eyes and beginning to cry well doctor of course i shouldn't like him to be shut up it seems a terrible thing and i shall never have a moment's peace all the rest of my life but if he must be shut up for heaven's sake let it be done at once before the money's gone and here she began to sob very violently the doctor said he would immediately write to the specialist so that they might hold a consultation on mr clinton the very next day so the following morning mrs clinton again put on her black satin dress and further sent to her grocer's for a bottle of sherry her inner consciousness giving her to understand that specialists expected something of the kind the specialist came he was a tall untidily dressed man with his hair wild and straggling as if he had just got out of bed he was very clever and very impatient of stupid people and he seldom met anyone whom he did not think in one way or another intensely stupid mr clinton as before had gone out but mrs clinton did her best to entertain the two doctors the specialist who talked most incessantly himself was extremely impatient of other people's conversation why on earth don't people see that they are much more interesting when they hold their tongues than when they speak he was in the habit of saying and immediately would pour out a deluge of words emphasizing and explaining the point giving instances of his truth you must see a lot of strange things doctor said mrs clinton amiably yes answered the specialist i think it must be very interesting to be a doctor said mrs clinton yes yes you must see a lot of strange things yes yes repeated the doctor and as mrs clinton went on complacently he frowned and drummed his fingers on the table and looked to the right and left when is the man coming in he asked impatiently and at last he could not contain himself if you don't mind mrs clinton i should like to talk to your doctor alone about the case you can wait in the next room i'm sure i don't wish to intrude said mrs clinton bridling up and she rose in a dignified manner from her chair she thought his manners were distinctly queer but of course she said to her friend afterwards he's a genius there's no mistaking it and people like that are always very eccentric what an insufferable woman he began when the lady had retired talking very rapidly only stopping to take an occasional breath i thought she was going on all night she's enough to drive the man mad 
one couldn't get a word in edgeways why on earth doesn't this man come just like these people they don't think that my time's valuable you expect she drinks shocking you know these women how they drink and still talking he looked at his watch for the eighth time in ten minutes well my men he said as mr clinton at last came in what are you complaining of one moment he added as mr clinton was about to reply he opened his notebook and took out a stylographic pen now i'm ready for you what are you complaining of i'm complaining that the world is out of joint answered mr clinton with a smile the specialist raised his eyebrows and significantly looked at the family doctor it's astonishing how much you can get by a well-directed question he said to him taking no notice of mr clinton some people go floundering about for hours but you see by one question i get on the track turning to the patient again he said ah and do you see things certainly i see you i don't mean that impatiently said the specialist distinctly stupid you know he added to his colleague i mean do you see things that other people don't see alas yes i see folly stalking abroad on the obios do you really anything else said the doctor making a note of the fact i see wickedness and vice beating the land with their wings see things beating with their wings wrote down the doctor i see misery and unhappiness everywhere indeed said the doctor has delusions do you think your wife puts things in your tea yes ah joyfully uttered the doctor that's what i wanted to get at things people were trying to poison him what is it they put in my man milk and sugar answered mr clinton very dull mentally said to the specialist in an undertone to his colleague well i don't think we need go into any more details there's no doubt about it you know that curious look in his eyes and the smile the smile's quite typical it all clearly points to insanity and then that absurd idea of giving his money to the poor i've heard of people taking money away from the poor there's nothing mad in that but the other why it's a proof of insanity itself and then your account of his movements his giving ice-creams to children most pernicious things those ice-creams the government ought to put a stop to them extraordinary idea to think of reforming the world with ice-cream post-enteric's insanity you know mad as a hatter well well i must be off still talking he put on his hat and talked all the way downstairs and finally talked himself out of the house the family doctor remained behind to see mrs clinton yes it's just as i said he told her he's not responsible for his actions i think he's been insane ever since his illness when you think of his behaviour since then his going among those common people and trying to reform them and his ideas about feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and finally wanting to give his money to the poor it all points to a completely deranged mind mrs clinton heaved a deep sigh and what do you think had better be done now she asked well i'm very sorry mrs clinton of course it's a great blow to you but really i think arrangements had better be made for him to be put under restraint mrs clinton began to cry and the doctor looked at her compassionately ah well she said at last if it must be done i suppose it had better be done at once and i shall be able to save the money after all at the thought of this she dried her tears the morrow is plain End of section three.